Welcome to the Replant Podcast, providing biblical insight and encouragement to reclaim declining and dying churches for the glory of God and the good of our communities. Hi, this is the Replant Podcast. I'm Associate Director Bob Bickford, here with Mark Clifton, our Senior Director of Replant. Mark, hello. Hey, how you doing, Bob? Good. Mark, we have a special guest with us today, and I'm going to allow you to introduce him. We do have a special guest. He is a new friend of mine, but a good friend of mine. His name is Graham Singh. He is in Toronto, Canada, and he's calling us from there today. And Graham is the leader of Church Planting Canada. You think of Church Planting Canada as a great big table around which all the church planting groups in Canada have a seat and 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 talk and converse and and help each other and share with each other. That's probably not the best way to describe it, Graham. But he's the head of Church Planting Canada. But beyond that, he's a pastor of a replanted church in a city that I dearly love, Montreal. I think I said you were in Toronto. Are you in Toronto right now? Or are you in Montreal right now, Graham? Mark, Bob, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, the answer is kind of yes to both because Church Planting Canada, we are headquartered out of Toronto but I am with our local church and calling you today from Montreal, Quebec. I love Montreal. My wife and I lived there for a number of years and uh, served there planting churches, and it's just a wonderful place. So first of all, Graham, tell us a little bit about Montreal and the church you're at and, and how it's come back, and just a little of that backstory. I think our folks would, would love to hear about that. Thanks, guys. Well, Montreal, as you know, is a French-speaking city uh, in the heart of our French-speaking province of Quebec, about 8 million people here. Uh, it's one of the, uh, the second largest city in Canada, and it's an exciting place where a lot has happened. The Catholic background is the, the big heritage of the province, but there was a thing here called the Quiet Revolution, the Révolution Tranquille, uh, the big highlight of which was they tried to get rid of the church. <laughs> so we're in an interesting position. Not only are our folks the church, but there's actually an active process of trying to remove uh, the church. And actually, it's been really hugely helpful for us to be in a very multicultural environment. My wife is from France. I'm also a French-speaking and English-speaking person of uh, Indian and Scottish ethnicity. So we're, we're kind of mixed up enough to do well here. And uh, it's just a great place to, to minister the gospel that our Lord Jesus is alive. And even against some pretty difficult circumstances, we're actually seeing uh, really some amazing partnerships some amazing acts of unity. I want to give a big shout out to all my, uh, all of my brothers from NAM, North American Mission Board, and uh, the work that's being done here in Montreal. Huge, huge support from around North America, from NAM folks, and uh, it's just a joy to be with you guys today. Well, Graham, tell us a little bit about your church there in Montreal, uh, just briefly, just some of the great story and the name of it and what, what you're doing, and, and a little bit of it. Give us a, a snapshot of it, buddy. Our church here is called St. Jacques, Montreal, which is a short form for Jacques. And James. And in Montreal, we try to invent those kind of bilingual names. And we are a reopened or replanted church into a 150-year-old historic site right in the center of downtown Montreal. We're kind of at the heart valves of the city, we'd say, right on Concordia University campus. And we had to see the church close down. And that's a theme that I've been working on for a while. This is our fourth church plant, my wife and I in the Anglican Church of Canada. And that is a very peculiar denomination. We got lots of, lots of amazing opportunities, but lots of bizarre things there as well. So denominationally, it's a challenge. The city's a challenge, but really at the core is a model of reopening closed historic churches that we developed in England. And we saw some 50 churches reopened using this model, and we're trying to uh, keep going in that kind of vein. So you saw 50 churches in England, Anglican churches, reopen and become vibrant and teach the gospel again. Is that what you're telling me? 
Yeah, so that's really at the center of our story. Both my wife and I came to faith in the Lord Jesus through the Alpha Ministry, based at Holy Trinity Brompton, right in the center of London, England. And we had both grown up as kind of nominal Christians. And, you know, looking back, boy, there's lots of experience that the Lord can redeem. And we had many faithful people speak into our lives, but it wasn't something that uh, we really understood until we become adults. And what we realized, there was a whole generation of us who were in the same boat. We were coming to uh, a fresh, alive adult faith in Jesus. And it was so effective that we started running out of places to put all these people. And that necessitated a church planting into these historic buildings. So that's where the model came from. That's great. And, you know, uh, it's important for us as Southern Baptists to realize that <laughs> replanting does not end uh, with our denomination. That God is really doing something globally uh, to reclaim churches that were once dead or are dying for His glory and His purpose. And a lot of that, Graham, is, is the actual buildings themselves. Now, we know that the church is not a building. It's, it's people. And we know that the church doesn't have to have a building by any stretch of the imagination. But there's something about a building in, in the middle of the square or in the middle of the town. You know, here in the United States, we have a lot of county seat towns, and they'll have a courthouse, and then they'll have a couple of church buildings right there in the middle of town. And a lot of neighborhoods across North America, you know, there'll be a church right there at the entrance to the neighborhood. And, and for the vast majority of people who never attend church, that represents the presence, really, of, of what we call the gospel and, and Christ's ministry. They see that building as a representation of that. And when that building falls into disrepair or when it becomes vacant or it's sold or becomes a coffee shop or condos or whatever, man, it makes a huge statement to the community about, about really the lack of power that they would understand that the gospel has. Because after all, if the gospel is powerful, why is this church closed? Plus, the church, as big as those buildings might be, they can be great opportunities for ministry in a city. So talk to us a little bit about how to use a building uh, to glorify God, uh, a building perhaps that, that is now empty or about empty. Well, there's a great phrase that uh, one of my leaders in England used. He said that an empty church is to a city like the empty palace of a long-forgotten king. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I tell you what, you, told, you said that one time to me uh, about two months ago. <laughs> I've said it four times a day ever since. I, I tell my wife that before we go to bed at night. I said, Jill, <laughs> do you know that an empty church in a city is like a long forgotten? I, it's a great phrase. And I mean, it really does resonate. <laughs> I, I can't say it enough. So thank you for that. Well, Mark, for our, for our listeners, there's a phrase you said back to me that has been the same. I've repeated it to so many people and said, you know, I got this friend down in the Southern Baptist Convention and he, he is, he, his heart is burning to see what we can do with these buildings. And he's given his life to seeing what can be done with this. And you and I are, are brothers in that regard, that we've both given our lives to, to asking that question. I want to give a little shout out, and you did this just now, to our folks who come from what we might call the missional church background. And mm -hmm. one of the themes there is we might say, hey, you know, here's one of the places the church has gone wrong with all these buildings. You know, maybe we look at, we look at Herod and we say, well, Herod wasn't a real king. He was a kind of Roman puppet, and he's the one who built the temple. There's where we started to go wrong. And we've just gone wrong ever since then. And really, the church should just meet in homes. And there we go. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. And actually, I think we need to listen carefully to that voice. Mm -hmm. But here's my answer to my many, many friends in, in leading missional churches. I say this. What happens when God answers your prayers? And all of the folks you're meeting with, all of their friends come. And all their work <laughs> colleagues come. And they all want to be baptized. And they all want to turn up on the weekend. And then some of them want to get married. Uh -huh. Well, guess what? You're going to run out of space. Uh -huh. Then you're going to say, there's no parking. People can't get in. 
boy, it'd be nice to be in the center of the city. Wouldn't it be nice if we could meet the mayor one day? And you start thinking, come on, we have got some mission stations like that. And I love another phrase I picked up from the replant conference is this first, first church county seat. Right. What does it look like when we have access, the keys to the city in the form of one of our buildings? So mm-hmm. I'm hugely passionate about what we do about those kind of sites. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your building right there in the center of one of the most historic cities in all of North America. If you've not been to Montreal and you live in the United States, get your passport and go to Montreal, man. It is a beautiful city, the greatest food, the greatest culture. You're going to love it. And right downtown, right in the center, as he said, this beautiful, beautiful 150-year-old cathedral, really, and, and tell us how you use that, not just to gather people for worship, but how you use that to bless the community and make the community noticeably better. So we're doing a couple of things. One is right now we have four churches sharing one building. And it's not like we found one church that was super different from us and maybe spoke a different language or, you know, we said, how can we find some people that need to be meeting here? Some, some brothers and sisters in the Lord, and let's give them some space. That has, I think, that act of unity actually has caused blessing. And, and you know, we ask for the blessing. We know that it comes from unity, but we sometimes struggle to seek that. And every denomination has its challenges with unity. But that's been step number one. Step number two, well, I guess it's before step number one, is we didn't land on this building by accident. We went looking, and I think there are some planting teams that God will give a vision to, to go and ask denominational leaders, in our case it's bishops, uh, to say, please can we have the best sites? Please can you close down what's there because we know it's not working, that it's not always not working, but where we do know it's not working, in our case, there was a congregation of a few dozen people. They had spent down an endowment of over $3 million dollars over a 10-year space. And they would, they'd paid for formal choirs and all kinds of stuff. The things were not working. So we, first of all, that, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I was just my affirmation of what you're saying. Go on. <laughs> Good. So, I mean, the, the selection of that building led to something, and with a particular vision for us to do this kind of stuff I'm describing. Then this, this kind of unity being open to using our space in a kingdom way. Then we began to partner, and there was already some of this in place, more with the city. And I mean the official instruments of the city. So the, the actual municipality doesn't have a community center in this area. So we said, well, we could actually be your interim community center while you build your own place. So we run 22 concerts a year for the whoa, municipality whoa, 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 out of our building. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. Montreal is not like Birmingham, Alabama or, uh, or uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Montreal is not particularly... Uh, home court advantage for evangelical conservative Christians, right? I mean, am I right about that? Sort of, kind of. And and here you're telling me that the city, the city of Montreal, you have how many city concerts in your building each year? We have 22 concerts per year. <laughs> that they just come in and use it, or how how does that work? What, what what do they do for you? You know, you mentioned Mark, conservative evangelical, and I think I think there's some things we really care about. Let me give you an example of one. We care about abortion. That's right. a big, big issue. Right. But there's some other issues that we may think, you know, actually we end up taking them off the front line. They're not things we talk to about, talk to people about, you know, first. We sometimes need to take them further back, I right. believe, right. in order to make friends and be able to say, hey, maybe we're disagreed on some things, but there are a whole bunch more things we're agreed on. And we've done that very, very actively. Coming from the Anglican Church, maybe we have a little bit of an easier time doing that. I don't know. 
But I think making sure that we get first things first. And the first thing that I think is that our, that our God died to see the transformation of society. Ultimately, at the end of time, he's going to transform society completely. But as we share the gospel, we see that happen. And actually, we end up doing that through the building of cities. And when we share a vision for the building of a city and say to people, what's your vision for building the city? We naturally make those connections. So the city, the, the municipality made friends that way. We also hosted a couple of charities in our building. Now, some of this was in place before. One of them is a big refugee charity. Some of this stuff really helped us make friends. So we talk, we, we talk about that, or at least I talk about that, as, as redeeming the facility as well and reclaiming it for God's glory and then using it to bless the community. And it becomes a tremendous asset, like you said, for refugee help, for concerts, for art. I'm sure art, art displays, any number of things where the community feels welcome and invited into this really sacred space in the middle of the city that, that you now manage and, and are able to have worship in and, and lead gospel classes in and all those kinds of things. And so all across North America, we want to make sure, Graham, that, that we reclaim these spaces, that we don't lose these very special places in the middle of our community because people are dying, are they not? I mean, they really want community. They really want to have a place to gather and connect and be with one another. And these church buildings can really serve that purpose. Get this. We have one, uh, one uh, father, young, father of young kids in our community. comes from a Jewish background, and he's given his life to the Lord Jesus through the Alpha course that we've been running, our 10-week discussion, Intro to Christianity. That's at the core of our model. Mm-hmm. This man, before he came to faith in Christ, he was listening to all kinds of podcasts and YouTubers and all this kind of thing. He knows what people outside the church are asking about. And he is now burning with ideas to run some of these kind of talks, not ones that are against the gospel, but ones that might be in some way a lead up or a warm up. He's saying, why don't we run those kind of things? I'm thinking, whoa, I'm not sure. Oh, this might get us into trouble. But then I'm thinking, hold on a minute. There are thousands of people listening to that stuff. Yep. Why are we so scared of engaging with them? Why don't we use our space to bring this discussion here? Right. Absolutely. Well, Graham, I, I really appreciate what you're doing, man. It, it resonated with me, uh, the fact that you're a brother in Christ and you love the city and you love the church and you desire to see it come back for God's glory. And especially, man, the way you have taken that building in Montreal and transformed it and made it a place that has multiple congregations meeting in it, has concerts that the city puts on and promotes and, and, and supports. I mean, they financially support these concerts, right? The city of Montreal. Yeah. Let's touch on finances uh, for a moment. Okay. In Canadian dollars, and let's use something round. Imagine a big building like that, including a little bit of staffing and some facilities management. Before you know it, you're going to be at a budget of $500,000 a year. Now, if you're starting a new congregation, mm-hmm. it's going to be a challenge to get $500,000 of giving from a brand new congregation if you're replanting. Mm-hmm. But if you bring in multiple congregations and multiple serious users, mm-hmm. so many of our, tenant, our, our anchor tenants, they're paying something like $25,000, $30,000 a year. Mm-hmm. You add up a few of those, and now you're starting to get a financial picture that's not overwhelming mm-hmm. for your church plant. Right. Well, we talk about that all the time. We, we talk about really leveraging the building to help pay for itself. Uh, and that then allows you, with, the, with the, the gifts and the tithes, the offerings of your members, to use that money for ministry. And it allows the building to kind of pay for itself because you, you, you have shared expenses with other groups who use the building. It's a very smart, very wise thing to do. A lot of people are really afraid to do that. They don't quite understand how it's going to work. Hey, it's messy, right, Graham? I mean, it's not totally clean all the time, and, and there's some loose ends and some gray areas, but it's worth it in the end. 
And you mentioned, Mark, special space and sacred space. Right. And that's a big thing for a lot of mainline denomination churches as well. And I want to say we use this awkward phrase, and this is a bit geeky, but I'm going to use it anyways here. What does it look like to see the partial temporary deconsecration of our worship space? Mm. Where we say sometimes for part of our building, we say this is normally sacred space here on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. But when we use it on a Friday night, well, we're going to kind of partially say that this is kind of secular space. Mm -hmm. And we've got to work with people sharing our space. If they want to come in and have, you know, language that's just totally inappropriate or subjects that are actually against the gospel, well, we might want to say, you know, this is not appropriate. And we can work with people. I have been amazed at how our secular partners have been sensitive to the kind of concerns that we have. And each church is going to manage that yeah. in a different way. You're but I think those right. fears, managing them well, has actually been very fruitful for us. You're absolutely right. And uh, what that looks like in my culture is we were able to take our church in, in Kansas City and we were able to use it as a venue for good secular bluegrass music. Uh, I love bluegrass music. But yeah, that on that Friday That's night, awesome. it's it's just secular country bluegrass music. And if you know anything about bluegrass music, which you probably don't, but you really should. If you know anything about bluegrass music, there's sort of a history of bluegrass music of something called murder ballads. So about every third song, somebody's getting killed in a bluegrass song. Uh, but it's okay because every fourth song is a gospel <laughs> song. So you have people getting killed and then people loving Jesus. It's kind of, it's 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 a long story. It's kind of it kind of reflects American culture in some ways, but nonetheless, I know what you mean. You take that church that church building on Friday night, and you invite all kinds of people who've never been to church in their life, and you put on a, a secular country concert or or whatever kind of concert. And again, it just gives you a chance to get your people in the lives of other people, and to get the church out there and 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 be part of the community, to be incarnational in the community, and not to be isolated from it. And, well, here uh, you go again, mixing attractional and missional. And I think, right. you know, shout out to our bros like Alan Hirsch, and Neil Cole, who led us in this thinking. But actually, we're seeing, because of their work, we're seeing attractional and missional come together. And in this case, if you go out and you say, boy, wouldn't it be great? We're going to plant this church in this area, mm -hmm. and we're going to move in, and we're going to live with the people. And then we're going to find the third spaces where people are talking <laughs> and having these engagements. And they're playing bluegrass, and they're talking about why they made that song. And we're going to go and invade those spaces. And there we're going to find one or two opportunities to share the gospel. And then you think, hold on a minute. We've got these third spaces. We just got to take out those pews, put in some lights decent sound system, and be willing to let the mess happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, no question about it. And uh, that's, that's a, great, a great way of putting that and a, a really great way of looking at it, man. I, I appreciate so much. You know, here, hey, by the way, it's, it's like uh, we're right now at the beginning of baseball season here in the United States, and I, I realize Montreal no longer has a team. And um, they had a team when I was up there, and uh, uh, my wife and I would go to the games. Uh, there's my wife and I and about four other people, but we went to uh, – just kidding – but um, the expos. Uh, we're, we're, I, I worked out that by already talking about religion here, I'm uh -huh. already on a sensitive enough subject, so I just avoid the <laughs> sport entirely. I just say, look, I'm just some Indian guy, man. I don't even know what's going on uh, here. Well, let me tell you, when, you, when we used to go to the expo game, the only way you could not get on the super screen at the expo game was to hide behind your seat because there just weren't many people there. But anyway, the, uh, the, this is the start of baseball season right now. And talking about the attractional and missional, you know what? Stadiums are going to be filled for opening day, right? Yet people could stay home and watch them in small groups in their homes and do. Some people want to stay home and watch it in their living room. Some people want to go to the local sports bar and watch it there. But there's tens of hundreds of millions of people who still want to go to a, to a, a stadium and experience it. 
And, and we have to understand that, that it is both missional and attractional. There is something still beneficial about people wanting to come together in, in, in large groups and do something that's somewhat attractional. So I, I believe it's both. I don't think it's either or. And I'm sorry I brought up Mark, I'm, I'm going to take a huge risk here because I know there's people all over, all over the continent who are going to be listening to this. I'm not a professional sports fan, <laughs> but I, I want to I venture this. Yes. I think that yes. there are some sports stadiums that actually are uni-sports. And those stadiums, mm-hmm. in many cases, are closing down mm-hmm. in order to be reopened as multi-sport stadiums. I'm thinking of, like, in L.A., the Staples Center. Right. I think, if I'm not mistaken, they can turn that thing around from a, a professional basketball game one, one day to a hockey game, like, within several hours. And I think, I think that's run by Anschutz Entertainment Group, who I think are yep. significant supporters of the church, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And... You know, that to me, why can we not be running when we have those venues? Why can we not learn from guys like that who know how to do this stuff and use our spaces and make them the most valuable community spaces to meet? And then the crowning jewel we can place with those is, is our opportunity to preach the gospel on a Sunday morning, on an alpha course. We can use those spaces, having increased the value of our place. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I wish we could go on and on and on. I just want our folks and our friends to get familiar with the name Graham Singh and to pray for you and know that you're a partner in the gospel and you're a partner in replanting churches. And, and Graham, God has really used you in my life to encourage me and, and to embolden me and to empower me and, uh, and to edify me. So I appreciate that, my friend. Thanks for giving us time today. Mark, I want, to try to, I want to try to sneak in one final thought here you for bet. you guys. You know, you guys and your humility and being honest about Closing churches as you plant them, I believe, could open up some friendships between the Southern Baptist Convention and other crazy people, even like Anglicans, in ways that you guys could not imagine. And I'm just so excited for the Replant team. It's a privilege to be just journeying along with you guys, and we're praying for more connection, for the Lord to use this, and we just, I just want to see what comes next. Me too, buddy. Thank you, Graham. You take care, my friend. That was Graham Singh from uh, Montreal, Canada. What a what a great guy, man! What a great heart and passion for the church and for for the gospel and for for replanting dying churches in his in his context in Anglican uh, in the Anglican Church. Right. We count him as a good brother, and his enthusiasm is infectious, <laughs> and his vision for how a local church in a difficult area uh, to. Uh, you know, to come back and do some uh, great, incredible ministry inside a community that's largely lost was amazing. Yeah, and he's also, man, he's just like wicked smart. I mean, you know, he just walks in a room and he starts talking. You go, this guy's really smart, man. Yeah, yeah the IQ for the entire IQ. room goes. What up, I want to yeah. do is I'd like to put him and Stetzer in the same oh. room and just and just let him go at it. You know, because they be both fun. they both are so smart and they he and, and Graham just comes up with all kinds of great insight and uh, he is a really gifted leader. And uh, he's been really, as I said, been really helpful in my life. And really, the, 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 the greatest thing he really does is he, he helps churches understand how to take these spaces and make them a blessing to the community. Right. And the very first church right. I, I replanted, Warnell Road Church in Kansas City, they had 18 elderly people and a huge building. They had no money, but the building could be a blessing to the community. And you know, that, that elderly group of people decided under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, as they really did orientate their life to Christ, that their, their ministry was to use that building however they could. And we, you know, Graham kind of alluded to it. As long as it's not immoral, illegal, or unbiblical, mm-hmm. we should let people use the building. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a good perspective. I mean, that, that's just it. As long as it's not immoral, illegal, or unbiblical, let them use the building. And, and we did, and that really opened up people in the neighborhood to our church because we really opened up the building. And that's, in essence, what, what Graham has done in Montreal with his building. Right. It absolutely changes the narrative that a community can have about a local church, that the church is actually there to bless and serve the people in a practical way that opens up the door for them to have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Exactly. You know, some of these old dying church buildings, they've got huge space. Take, take one, of the, one of the old big Sunday school rooms and, and decorate it up really cool, man. Paint, paint all kinds of fun party animals and, and, and or children's kind of scenes in it, whatever. Something that kids would like, okay? Put bright carpet squares on it, maybe spray paint the drop ceiling some bright orange color. You get the idea. Make mm-hmm. it look like Chuck E. Cheese pizza mm-hmm. or something. And then just go door to door in your neighborhood and have a little card printed up and say, do you need a place to have a birthday party Mm -hmm. for your kid? We have a free birthday room in our church. You can use our kitchen. We have nice restrooms and this great big room. And then they can register online. And then one of your or two or three of your members are there hosting them, welcoming them to the building. You get to meet all the kids at the party. And that's the way you can take your space and use it to bless the community. It's just one of many ways that you can do it. So rather than have just vacant space and think, oh my goodness, we got all this empty space, we're not using it, it looks so neglected, then transform it so that the community can be blessed by it. Absolutely. And I think he did point out too that not only can it be a blessing to the community, but it can actually create a resource stream for a local <laughs> church that may need those resources to do work, yeah. uh, the at, gospel work. At Warnell Road, uh, I mean, we were never going to fill that building up and we were never going to have enough people to really pay for that building. So we engaged some nonprofits in the community that needed office space, and they were able to help share the expenses of the building, and, and that made it viable for us to be in it. And it also gave the nonprofits in the community some good office space, and it gave us a lot of foot traffic all day long because people coming to get help and re- assistance from the nonprofits came to our building. It was a win, 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 except mm-hmm. you can no longer have like the you know, the Othello class that you can't touch this building. You can't touch this room. It's got the curtains and it's got the pictures and you can't come in here. I mean, that goes away. And the whole building is, is a tool uh, to glorify God and to minister to the community. And when you do that, you can even take these old declining buildings and and many times they can really help generate income to pay for themselves so that the offerings of your perhaps small group initially can really be used to do ministry and not just to pay the light bill and, and repair the boiler. Right. That's a good word. Well, Mark, we're out of time here on this version of the replant podcast. And so we want to thank Graham Singh from uh, Canada for joining us. We want to thank you for your leadership and your insights. And we want to remind all of our listeners that you can check out more about replanting at churchreplanters.com. We look forward to having you guys with us once again. Mark, good to see you. All right. Good to see you, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Replant Podcast, a resource of the SEND Network of the North American Mission Board. For more information, visit churchreplanters.com.